Hey everyone, sorry I'm a few minutes late. I'm just jumping on now. We're gonna have some fun. My name is Andrew Kraus. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight, and I do these Q and A sessions uh, pretty much every Monday. And we have some regulars here. Looks like maybe I got some new people, so that's cool. Um, just want to give you guys some perspective. Uh, first, type in yes that you can hear me, just so I know, so I don't keep on talking if you guys can't hear me. Um, give some perspective on things. Uh, what we're all about here at InventRight is licensing. So when you license, you don't need to raise money, you don't need employees, and you don't need to quit your day job or your other business. You can license products on the side. But we have a lot of students that have gone full-time, of course. Um, and with licensing, when you license to a big company, you don't license to a retailer. People that are new don't understand that. But those of you who have been here a while, you're like, of course, Andrew. You license to the manufacturer that sells to the retailer, okay? Um, and then it's their money and it's their workforce and it's their existing distribution. So if they're already in 30,000 stores, you have the opportunity to get it in 30,000 stores. So that's what we guide people to do at LinkedIn, um, at LinkedIn, at InventRight. <laughs> we guide people to reach out on LinkedIn. So... Um, okay, everybody can hear me. That's great. Um, you know, on that topic, uh, let's see. Okay, so Teresa had had uh, sent a message in earlier saying she gets a little confused on making her list of companies. She said she was Googling and Google image searching, which is a great tool that we highly recommend you guys use to really understand all the products in the micro category of your idea. So what do I do mean by micro category? If you got a kitchen cutting board, you should know all the kitchen cutting boards. If you've got um, a garlic press, you should know all the garlic presses, okay? Like, like all of them, right? And there's no reason, you should, and you should spend the time to do that. And Google images is a great way to do that. And you can find potential licensees that way too. But what I was saying to Teresa is she was saying she was, she kind of Google images to look for companies and then she gets lost from there. And um, really you should be looking at the retailers where you're gonna be. So instead of randomly finding them on Google images, which is a technique, but it's not the most efficient, it's more of a technique for studying the micro category idea. And you will find companies like that. Don't get me wrong. But if you had a sporting good product and you looked up, there's actually a list. You can do this. You can type in list of major U.S. sporting good retailers. And you'll find a Wikipedia list if you type that in. And you look at all those retailers' websites, and then you're going to license to the company selling those retailers. And if you know they're in major retailers, they're qualified. So, But then I think she gets a little lost after there. And you do need to go further. You do need to um, go onto the company's websites, each one of these companies' websites, and double check that the product you want to send to them is appropriate for their particular product line. Because you might be on a retailer site and you see one of their products, but you don't really understand all the products they're selling. And you go on their website, like, oh, holy crap, this is a great company. Look at all the stuff they're selling. This is great for me. Or, oh, you know, maybe they aren't as great of a right of a match as I thought, but. Um, but they're okay. I'm going to send to them anyway. And other ones you'll be like, oh no, this company's not right. You know, so you need to take it a little further, um, Teresa, and look on um, the company's website after you find a company. So um, first, big list of retailers, companies selling at those retailers, and then 
um, you have to look up the company's website and then you got to make a list and then you got to be pretty organized. I mean, if you have 30 companies you're reaching out to, you got to make an Excel spreadsheet. You could be a piece of paper. I don't care. It could be a CRM where you're keeping track of all these companies. You just need something to keep track of how many times you reached out, when you reached out via LinkedIn, phone or, or email and keep track of all that. So that might be where you're getting lost, Teresa, where you're just your organizational skills or just knowing how to organize this particular task. You may be very organized. You just don't quite get how to do that yet. Um, let's see, <laughs> Paul, this is an interesting question. This is the first question. I'm going to go from top to bottom here, guys. Hi, Andrew. Are royalties always in whole numbers or can they be, say, 5.3%? Yeah, of course. It could be 5.5%, 6%, 7%, 3%, 10%, whatever. Um, interesting that you mentioned that. I've, I, I, I thought I've gotten every question over time, but I've never seen that question before. And I don't think we've ever done a deal. We've done deals for the last 21 years and our negotiation coach, if I asked him, have you ever done a half a percent deal or a pointage percent deal? Um, I think he's probably going to say no. I've never seen one. It's always, uh, I've never, not even a half a percent, yet alone 5.3%. But maybe we have, you know, I haven't seen every contract that we've we've done or anything um, or helped our students with. Um, so it's an interesting question. Uh, let's see. Uh, Garfield said, hey, Andrew, should I include a separate section, possible future features on my sell sheet? Also, what do you think about licensing to companies such as Sharper Image, Brookstone, and Amazon Basics? Amazon Basics? I don't think you're going to license to Amazon Basics. I think Amazon Basics, I could be wrong on this, but I think Amazon Basics, they're just trying to reduce cost on generic items, which is really common for house brands because that's their house brand. So if for some reason your invention reduced costs on something very generic, then they might be a potential licensee. Working with Amazon, a licensing deal, I would put them in the mega corporation territory is probably going to be pretty difficult. But yeah, if you're reducing costs on something generic, but otherwise you probably wouldn't be approaching Amazon Basics. Sharper Image, to my impression, is they're not really a company anymore. What they are is a licensing company. So they, um, and I might be wrong on part of this because I don't know every detail about every company, but they licensed their brand out because they were very well known. I'm 52. So when I remember the Sharper Image stores, you know, some of you, if you're really young, you might not remember. Most of you probably remember. It wasn't that long ago. And they went out of business, basically. But they license other people the rights to put the Sharper Image brand because it's a very well-known brand on their product. And then they get paid a royalty fee just for another company using their product. It'd be like, um, you know, a lot of companies, they sell Disney stuff. And so they'll sell T-shirts or mugs or figurines or whatever. And they pay Disney a very hefty royalty to be able to put, you know, the Cars logo and their descendants or whatever Disney brand it is on that particular product. So that's what Sharper Image is doing. So I don't think you pick the best products there, um, either the best types of potential licensees. Uh, Brookstone, I forget, I think they're still, they still have stores. So, but again, that's a store. And so all these ones you're citing are kind of like stores and you want to license to the brands that sell to the stores. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, and the other part of your question is, should I include a separate section? Um, possible future features on my sell sheet? Probably not. 
Um, if you include a separate section and you're like, and here's five other variations of it too, it's, it's hard for them to focus. Um, we're talking, we've always talked about sell sheets being a one page sell sheet. So it's a one page advertisement for the customer, not for them, for their customers. So they're going to see, oh, this is how we would sell it, right? Now, um, Steven's been bringing this up for their co-founder a little bit. And I kind of like the idea that sometimes you can have it. We've always said, we've been like so hardcore about never more than one page. But Steven has been floating, our other co-founder, this thought that you could have a second page that included um, some competitors and then you're made it cl clear again, your point of difference. Here's some competitors and a point of difference. But to include a second page, here's five other versions. Not really. You just kind of want to put your best foot forward. If they have an objection, you could say, well, I, I, if you're kind of vaguely interested, I've got some other versions then. But no, I wouldn't include a ton of versions and especially not on the one page marketing piece. I wouldn't include other features or add-ons or stuff. It's too much for them to take in. And I wouldn't put that on a second page either. I would just put your best foot forward. And it's hard for inventors to do that, but you got to pick what you think is putting your best foot forward and show that to them. Now, if they come back and you say, hey, I've got some other features. Could I, you know, I thank you. I accept that. Here's a few features. Just you could reply, say thank you for the no, basically, and say, here's some other features. If you're all interested, let me know. If not, no worries. I'll probably just be sending you other years in the future. So you could do that. That would be my my hack for that. So you can still get it to them so that they looked at it, but I would not overwhelm them with here's 20 different features. No, I see a lot of inventors trying to do that and we stop our students from doing that. That'll hurt you. Um, they just don't have the time to look through it all and figure it all out. Um, uh, hi, Andrew, Wade and April, Hawk, Academy newbies. We noticed that the Academy went back up uh, to a uh, year-long program instead of six months. We were just curious. We started at at a year long and then dropped down. I don't know if it was ever a year. I don't remember it being ever a year, to be honest with you. Um, you know, so I don't remember that. But yeah, so, but it is now. So that's all good. We're very grateful and excited for the change. Great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, uh uh, my two cents is their handle. If China helps Russia, will there be U.S. sanctions? What are your thoughts? I have no idea. Um, I think we, you know, there was a prior crisis, the, the pandemic, and we saw more students licensed products during the pandemic than, than before, actually. And so the American public has an insatiable, and the world has an insatiable appetite for new products. So Companies will always need new products and be selling them. So I think overthinking um, even the supply chain issues, like, you know, there are companies that our students have licensed to, and it's taking them like an extra two, three, four, five, six months to launch the product because of supply chain issues, getting product overseas um, from overseas. So uh, I think it, we're just too completely tied to Asia at this point. I don't, I mean, if we just cut off completely, all manufacturing in Asia, like there would be no products. So I think a change needs to be made. I won't get into politics or details, but I don't think that's really going to affect you, my two cents. That's their handle. Um, as far as licensing goes, I don't know if the world blows up and things get really crazy. I'm not sure how things will be affected, obviously, but um, wasn't a problem with um, 
COVID. And it has not been a problem even with the supply chain issues. The only thing that's happening is our students are closing deals. It's taking companies longer to get it into stores. But so what? You licensed it. They're going to pay you royalties. You move on. You license other stuff. Um, so I can't comment on the China versus helping Russia thing. I, I don't know. Um, but if you just wait because you think something is wrong, like somebody said me the other day, like, um, what do you think about inflation? Isn't inflation going to isn't that a problem? And it's like they're looking for a reason not to license their products. And I'm like, uh, yeah, it could be an issue. Maybe people buy 10% less products, but you're still licensing a product and earning royalties. So I'm like, I mean, we can look forever um, at things that might be an issue. But guess what? Our InventRight students just continue to license products all the time. So, you know, um, we'll let you know when when there's certain things that are there's nothing that our students haven't been able to overcome. And I wouldn't say there's really anything even for them to overcome. It's licensing just like it has always been. Um, it's just been the same old, same old as far as doing deals, except for the deals take a little longer to do because it's taking longer for them to get quotes in Asia. If the company's manufacturing in Asia and then they can't say yes until they know they can make it a reasonable price and that it's taking companies longer to launch new products because of the supply chain issues. So, but those aren't like deal killers by any means. If somebody is like, well, I'm not gonna license my product because that's the problem right now. I'd say, please just go off, get yourself a day job. You're not an entrepreneur. Um, if you're looking at stuff like that, you shouldn't be trying to license anyway. Um, uh, let's see. Hi, Andrew, I was wondering if Mattel ever gives more than 1%, wow, 1%. I was reading their submission agreement and that is what was in it. Is it worth pitching to them? I, I, I would be shocked if they were paying the professional inventors that they work with on a regular basis. Like once you get in the door, 1%. That's, that's getting a little ludicrous if you ask me a uh, 1% deal. Now, with licensing, it's all dependent on the volume being done. If they only want to give you 1%, but they're guaranteeing you a hundred thousand in royalties a year because they see it's going to be a giant big hit. Then I'd be like, well, I don't know, maybe that's okay, you know. But royalties are dependent on three things: the royalty rate, the price of the product. Is it a ninety-nine cent product or five hundred dollar product? And then the volume being sold. So you should never look at a deal as the percentage. You could look at it as like, wow, this is a big ass company, and this is what they're committing to. And I would be happy with a 5% or a 7% royalty or a 4% or a 3% because of the volume they're doing. But then there's another company where they're, they're small. But you should not just also just gauge it on how big they are. It's what's their plan for your product and what do you think they can do with your product and um, all that you should hold them to in the licensing agreement. So I, I didn't know that Mattel was offering 1%. If that's just on their website, um, I, I think that's, personally, pretty ridiculously low. Um, I think that might be negotiable though. Um, and I bet you the professional inventors that work with them, they are not paying them 1%. I pretty much would expect that. I can't confirm it, but I would pretty much be shocked by that. So that's kind of like for the public rookie inventor portal. And I don't, that is not typical at all um, for other companies outside the toy business. I haven't seen companies saying, oh, we'll only pay you 1% or 2%. They never put up front and it's completely negotiable on their website what percentage they're going to pay. That's very unusual. But the toy business has been getting ideas from inventors forever and a day. So um, not surprised that, you know, one of the companies are, is putting up a percentage there, but that's, 
pretty ridiculous. I mean, the most common royalty rate that our students get is 5%. We had plenty where they were quiet. They didn't blurt that out. And the companies like say, well, what do you typically do? Well, we did an 8% deal. Let's do 8%. Okay. Yeah. And you open your big mouth, you would have messed it up. But 5% is an extremely common royalty. 1% is, is kind of ridiculous. But if the numbers were there, hey, hey, a half a percent, one-tenth of a percent, if they're selling like bazillions of units, you know, it's all you got to run the numbers. Um, uh, William says, uh, here's two more reasons to license instead of venture. Many people have to raise capital to venture. So whatever profits and value you do make, you get to split with your investors. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you venture a product and sell it yourself, I mean, if you're serious, you're not doing that part time. You're, you're, you're working 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks. Um, you know, investors don't really give inventors money that, um, haven't ventured products before and have experience because it's not it's not just about the product they're investing in you and they don't care how great your idea is if they see that you don't have a team that knows how to launch a, a new product we start an entirely new company i mean that's the benefit of licensing if if you license to a company and they have 10 products in bed bath and beyond they go to bed bath and beyond they're going to listen very intently to that company you license to as far as taking the product on you come in and they're worried you're not going to deliver on time um, you know, you're, you're going to have quality control issues. You're going to have money cash flow issues because you need a lot of money to venture a product. So when you license all that responsibility goes on that big company that the retailers know and trust already, and they don't know and trust you. So William's making a good point there. And then also sometimes the investors will just bleed you dry and, you know, and, and all that with your venturing, starting your own business. There's nothing wrong with starting your own business. Just most inventors, when you highlight all the things they need to do, then you show licensing, they're like, I don't want to do venturing. No way. And then some people are so excited about their product, they get into it and they get themselves in over their head. I talked to a gentleman this morning. He's in for a million dollars, a million dollars. And he's, he's having a hard time of it. Um, and so, um, and don't, and so don't assume that even if you get the money that they're really interested, you're still a one SKU, one product company, but you license to a big company. They know they got the money behind it. They got the employees behind it. They got the experience, logistics, all that. So that's why companies, um, retailers would much rather buy from a larger company than a one product company. Um, but you know, if you're excited about running a business, and um, having employees and, and doing all that, having a company culture and all that, you know, and, and you're okay with all the financial risks, then go for it. I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that because there's not. But you have to be more excited. This is the way I always like to put it. You have to be more excited about running the business than you are about the product. Excitement about the product is not enough, not even remotely, if you're going to start your own business. Excitement about the product and doing the work to license it, that's all you need. You know, you need to be excited because, you know, if you're not excited about it, but you need to then show it to companies, you know, 20, 30 companies, you do a deal with one and then it's on them, right? If they don't perform, you get it back because you never sell your idea. One thing I always say on these chats is never say, I want to sell you my invention or I want to sell my patent. Um, you never want to do that. You want to license. You always want to use the word license. Otherwise, you are setting the stage improperly and you'll mess yourself up. Okay, so don't do that because you're not setting the stage right. Uh, uh, Spunky Monkey is their handle. What happens if two companies want my idea 
Then I go with the first company, but then the second still wants my idea. So they do it anyway, and they know I have no patent. Um, what would you do? Well, I've been, we've been doing this for 21 years with students over 65 countries. I've never seen that happen. Could happen. So you can speculate on things that you're worried about. But when we've had that many students that have been working on products and we've worked on an insane number of deals and that's literally never happened, why are you worried about it? Now, maybe you aren't now that I said that. Um, so when you have two companies um, and, you know, you've smoky monkey, you know, I don't know if it's a product that's not patentable, but um, you always want to put patent pending on your product and file a provisional patent. Um, but I've never had one of our students get knocked off by a company they presented to. And then the company later took the idea and didn't pay them. I've never, uh, to my knowledge, I've, that's never happened with a single one of our students. Could it happen? Yeah, could happen. I think that you, when you've got multiple companies, first of all, multiple companies interested is normal for our students. That happens. You know, maybe you got one student that's like reached out to 30 companies and they get interest from five, four fall off, they do a deal with one. But then another student only gets interest from one company, but it's a great company, they do a deal with that company. You know, so it's kind of all over the map, but it's not unusual to get initial interest from multiple. And you want to move forward with everyone as if the other doesn't exist. The place where it gets sticky that I'll get into that might piss a company off is if they invest like $6,000 in a prototype or a bunch of money in it, when they start investing financially, I'm not talking about getting quotes overseas. I'm talking about investing money in it before you guys have closed the deal. You, you want to be aware of that. And then you want to figure out what's going to make sense because like you don't need to tell if they ask you, well, you, are you showing this other company? Yeah, of course. I'm shopping it around. Well, who? I, I can't disclose that. That's confidential. You know, I mean, because if you tell them other stuff about other people, they're going to think that that you're telling other people about them. You need to keep confidential. You need to keep professional, right? That's very, very important. Um, so initial interest, five, six, I don't care, eight companies. I'm not at all concerned about it. If it's very, very far along, multiple calls or getting quotes in Asia and they're spending money on it, when they're spending money on it, that's the thing. That's the thing, okay? Getting quotes overseas is not spending money on it, okay? But, you know, there's a point at which they start to get really, really heavily invested in it. And you're like, whoa, this other one's really, really heavily invested. Or maybe you're like, this other one is like, they're just flaky. They're not getting back to me. They're super slow. So if they get finally get back to you on something, then then go, you know, I licensed this other company. You weren't getting back to me, you know, and that's perfectly fine. Um, so so monkey monkey, anything could happen, but I've never seen that happen. So that kind of gives you a sample size of experience to know that you shouldn't be that worried about it. Um, John said, "How long does it take for a company to respond to an idea that was emailed to them?" Um, so first of all, John, first of all, John, um, if you sent it without asking permission via email, um, you shouldn't have done that. So now if you ask permission and you sent it, then I, I think it's okay. You can ask, or I would follow up in two weeks. So if you, there's a big difference between sending an unsolicited email with my sell sheet, which you shouldn't ever do and saying, how come they're not responding and asking permission? They say, yeah, sure. Send it on over. We'll take a look at it. We're open to ideas. And then I would say I would follow up with them in about two weeks, you know, and I and I would just say, 
you know, what's your process? You know, when could I expect to hear back? Let me know if you have any questions. Always offer help. Let me know if you have any questions. Um, maybe pose a problem if you have one and I might be able to solve it. So, um, so you know, it, it, if you don't send them a message again, they could never respond. You know, it's really common to have to follow up three, four, five, six times. Yeah, and I get uh, marketing managers, I, students all the time saying, you know, they were really like apologetic. I'm so sorry. I know I've been meaning to get back to you. They're people just like us, you know. And then sometimes they're not apologetic, but they finally get back to you. And so what? You know, you know they don't they didn't need to apologize. But one outreach is not an outreach by any means. And sometimes people like, John, let's say you got permission and you and then you sent it. Like inventors think like, oh, they said I could send it. So now I should be getting a response back in a couple of days. Hell no. Who, who made you think that? Um, you know, so they're just not going to get back to you that quickly. And that's OK. But I think that inventors get really excited, which you should. You know, when you start to learn how to reach out and they're like, yeah, send something on over. And then and now you're just sitting there waiting. The way you deal with that is to reach out to more companies. The way you deal with the anxiety of them not getting back to you right away is reach out to more companies keep yourself busy and before you know it they responded and if they didn't respond after two weeks go ahead and offer your help and say what's your process okay um out uh cutting outback said how do you license an idea for a sports merchandise product i don't know what you mean sports merchandise product can you clarify don't type any details into the chat because this is a public forum, of course. Um, I don't know what you mean by a sports merchandise product. Um, <laughs> Ivy's making a joke. What about barbecue spatulas? I always use that as an example. Um, David said, what if I license an idea without knowing that someone else filed a PPA for the exact same idea before me? You will never know. Um, and guess what? Our students have never known. And remember I said how many students we have all the time? I've never had it come up. So could somebody file a PPA before you be submitting to companies, trying to license it themselves and predate what you did? Yes, they could. Have I ever once, ever, ever had that become an issue? Never. So if that if that is helpful... Um, but I think sometimes, and David, you're not asking for this, and it's a good question. I would have it. Um, it's a good question, but just knowing, and that, I think that's a big benefit of having an event right coach is like these things happen, and the coach is like, that could happen, but we've never seen that happen. Um, or, oh, that that happened. Oh, yeah, that's going to happen all the time. Here's how, how you're going to always respond. So it's very beneficial when you're in the mix and you have an event right coach and they're guiding you. One on one, they know your product, they know you, and they can tell you if it's common or if it's an anomaly, right? And they can address these fears. But you know, if you think about it, a lot of these questions you guys are asking are fears, you know. And if if taking away fears removes that roadblock to move you forward, hey, that's fantastic. I think that's a big part of what we do here. That's great. So these are all great questions. Um, Hamza said. If I had an idea and I want to sell that idea to a company, what's the best way to do so? Okay. Well, it's, you, Hamza, I think you're new, is to license it. You need to watch InventRight TV more, um, our YouTube channel, which you're watching right now. And, you know, you're going to get a good, a better idea of what licensing is. 
If you want to step it up a notch there, you can get our best-selling book, One Simple Idea. It's called One Simple Idea. You can go to inventright.com and find and go to the free resources page and, and find out more about that. Um, so yeah, licensing is a great way to go. So learn what licensing is. Keep watching our show, maybe read our books. And if you really need help, sign up with our coaching program. Um, concrete is their handle. If a company turns down your product design, but wants you to freelance for them, how could you this fit into licensing the licensing model? Um, okay, well, I think that's great. I think that you got to be careful about freelancing for your product design so they get it on the cheap. I think if you're going to license something, you've got to define what they want you to freelance doing and what the terms are. Are you looking for a job, or are you going to are they going to give you some tasks, some um, problems or areas to invent in, and then do they want you to freelance? Will they still pay you a royalty? These are all things you need to take a look at. So I don't know what they're asking you to do, but if they're just asking to hire you for this particular product, so they don't have to pay you royalties, not so excited about that. Um, we've had a few of our students that are really competent, like industrial designers, like the company, just a company or two. I don't see this as something common, but it's one of those things that I see, I've seen a couple of times. They'll take advantage of the inventor because they had such incredible industrial design skills and design skills because they were professional industrial designers and it's like well i'm just like working a ton for this company i'm not getting paid i know i'll get paid royalties so you always got to be careful about that um but you know it really depends on what's on the table if they're like hey we want you to be an internal inventor and you're okay with the wage and you can still go do your own thing okay maybe maybe you still get a royalty maybe you get paid a freelance rate plus a royalty i have no idea what they're asking you to do but I think it's interesting. Um, so I would I would investigate and say, what do you need? And figure out if it's something you want to do. And then you can negotiate the, the terms. Um, huh. Yeah, uh, my two cents. I'm assuming that a PDF, because we always say send a PDF sell sheet, a marketing piece to um, the companies you're reaching out to, is eight and a half by 11. That's the standard US paper size. Yes, that's the size that our PDFs always are. Um, could any saying, could it be longer? Yeah, you can make a PDF, whatever length you wanted. I mean, you could make it five pages all continuous if you wanted to. Um, but I would stick to the eight and a half by 11 model. Um, I had some students that went against our advice in the past and, and they would include a second page and people never, a lot of people never saw the second page, you know, cause they're just looking at the first page. Um, so you know, but yeah, you could make it longer. I, I don't know why you need to. Here's the deal. And here's my my two cents, since your handle is my two cents, is yes, you could send a slide deck. You could send a 15-page PDF. They don't have the time. So if you can't fit it into an eight and a half by 11 PDF, you're not doing it right. They need to get your product in six to 10 seconds. And if you're trying to throw everything in the kitchen sink in there, the more and more confusing it gets, they look at it and go, I don't, I don't know what this is. And they reply, no, no, thank you. Not interested because they don't have the time for it because you made them think. So don't make them think. So the longer you make that sell sheet or whatever you're sending them, you're going to make them think. They need to right between the eyes. Oh, I get it. This is what our customer would be buying. And they're either interested or not, but they're not confused. 
And so if you start making a PDF really, really long, that's not common in the industry and it might look really strange. Could you do it? Yeah, you know, but why would you change up what we found to work for the last 21 years? So, um, but here's a good question. Um, <coughs> uh, Melvin said, I paid 1500 to get started. He's not talking about us guys. Uh, my idea to build a prototype and they wanted me to pay for a patent, which was an outrageous amount. Then COVID hit. I, well, I don't care if COVID hit and cause a problem for our students. It sounds like Melvin, you paid an invention promotion company and you should go to the Federal Trade Commission website and the Patent Office website. There is a, a jumping off point, um, inventorfraud.com. You should check out inventorfraud.com to learn how these companies work. So if, if you didn't realize what happened to you, it sounds like you got taken by an invention promotion company. And we hear that every day here at InventRight. We talk to people that have been taken by those companies. So, um, but so what if COVID hit? Like that wasn't a problem for our students licensing products. Um, you know, but if you got a bait and switch, hey, they sold me this and they're trying to sell me more. That's extremely common with invention promotion companies. So just realize what you're dealing with there. Go to inventorfraud.com com or org i forget which one it is and and there's some jumping off points the federal trade commission site and the patent office site to learn how to protect yourself against these um companies you know uh because it's yeah it's <laughs> um voyage travel said can plants or seeds be patented yes there's basically normally i would say there's two types of patents there is a utility patent and then there's a design patent. The design patent is just the way that something looks, not the way something functions. The utility patent is about the functionality. But there is a third type of patent that I almost never talk about, which is a plant patent. And that is for seeds and plants. I'm going to be honest with you. I know nothing about that. Um, I don't think we've ever had a student that worked on licensing a new plant. We might have. And that's worth looking into a plant patent um, just for that, which is kind of odd, isn't it? Um, now, could we guide you to license something in plants and seeds? Absolutely. I mean, licensing is licensing. doesn't matter. I'm just not an expert at plant patents, and you should look them up more and figure out, like, what can they cover? What can't they cover? And could could my invention be covered by it? You know. Um, Candy said, what's the best way to prototype, please? So, you know, there's a lot of benefit in Frankensteining an existing product. Um, to make a prototype, you might, let's say you got this new dog toy for your dog. Okay. And you go down to the store and you buy a dog toy and then you just duct tape something else to it and you throw it because you wanted a dog to play with it a couple times to see if it worked and all works beautifully. And now because it's duct taped together, doesn't look so good, but it, it starts to fall apart because the dog starts chewing on it and stuff. But Hey, that was a prototype just to Frankenstein something. But what I can say, Candy, is I'd say about 75, 85% of our students will do a virtual prototype. And when people sign up for a coaching program, that's a virtual prototypes included along with the marketing piece. And the coach guides you on creating a really good marketing piece. And then our designers make it beautiful. So a virtual prototype is just a looks like. It's not an engineering thing where it has all the dimensions and stuff, although it could have some. But it's just putting your best foot forward. This is what the product product's going to look like. So this thought process that you absolutely need a prototype to license a product is absolutely false. A lot of times, you look the if you make a nice virtual prototype, nice marketing piece, 
company looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I think your customers might be interested. So you're not selling a prototype. You're not selling a patent. You're selling the benefit of your idea. So a sell sheet can highlight that. So a lot of times, like, you couldn't make the prototype, but you you could get a, a virtual prototype done. And when they ask you, well, how are we going to do this? And you're like, well, there's that product for 1995 and that one for 2495. And you can see that all I'm doing is adding a hinge on here. And they're like, oh, yeah. So now it proves because there's something else in the market. You don't have, there doesn't have to be something else in the market, but it, you know, it proves that it can be made at 20 bucks. And here's my change. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. We want to get some quotes overseas or whatever and make sure, but yeah, okay, that's enough. So this thought that you need this production ready prototype or even a prototype at all is absolutely incorrect. Our students license all the time with a virtual prototype. Now with that said, you might have a virtual prototype, but let's say, let's go back to this dog toy, this fictitious dog toy. And you make a little video because sometimes you do a video go along with your sell sheet. And it's a short video. It's like, um, I don't know, maybe it's 60 seconds, 45 seconds. And you show, you know, throwing it and it's kind of at a distance. And you show your dog like playing with it and it's just having so much fun. And like maybe in your video, then you just throw up a picture of the virtual prototype. So you're not showing a close up of this Frankenstein prototype but you can see it working. Now, other times, like you were able to create a looks like, but it doesn't work like, you know? So, hey, if you got a prototype, why do a virtual prototype? Just take a picture of it, you know? Um, but so the best way to prototype is sometimes not to prototype at all, but it really depends on your product. But the thought process that a lot of people have is I need a patent and prototype, bullshit. You don't need a patent. You need a provisional patent for 75 bucks. You don't need a prototype. You need to put your best foot forward with really good marketing so they can see the product. Now, sometimes, you know, a lot of products just easy. It's like, oh, I know they can make it. I can't make it, but I know they can. But sometimes that's not the case. And you needed to play around with something to figure out how this thing's going to work. And, and you can have this Frankenstein prototype. Maybe you'll never show it to anybody. So don't get me wrong. Sometimes people think we're anti-prototype. We're not. We just don't want somebody spending $5,000 on a prototype that they didn't need to spend. You know, we don't want to spend 10 grand on a patent that you need to spend. Right. And so we're just opening up your mind to it. But it really depends on your your product, of course. Um, let's see. So Phone Savers is asking about our success rate. We have students licensing products every week, sometimes more than once a week. So the two goals we have for our students is one to when somebody becomes a student, then they get the weekly coaching and, you know, our negotiation coach and they can email our coach anytime. And they're, we're just like on top of the student. The goal is to help you license the product you work on while you're with us. But the secondary goal, which I think is even more important, is to help you get that real life experience. So you can say at some point, I, I get it, guys, I don't need you anymore. And if you go through the process, the only way we found that inventors really learn licensing is to actually do it. And you'll do some things, you'll be trying to go down this path. Coach is like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go here. And they'll say why. And you'll be like, oh, okay, well, thank you. You just saved me a bunch of time. But they're there to guide you, to get you into this mindset. So if after, if during six months, you know, because our one-on-one our -on -one coaching program is six months, and then after that, you get the access to the site and some other stuff, but you, six months with one-on-one -on -one with the coach. Is you get that experience so you can say at some point, I get it, guys, I don't need you anymore. Um, I've had students like Stephen reached out to me the other day and he doesn't have our database. So he said, Andrew, is this person a student? I go, yeah, they were a student six years ago. He's like, 
they're saying on Facebook they licensed their fourth product. How come they didn't let us know? I'm like, because they've become empowered. They're on their own. They can do this the rest of their life now. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, it would have been nice if they let us know. I'm like, you know, but that's kind of a cool um, example of we're all about empowering you. So you don't need us at some point. Now, if you need to come back because you get yourself in a difficult deal or whatever, we're always here for our students. Our students can always come back. So, um, you know, you, nobody on the face of the planet will license every single product they work on. Nobody. And that takes a little getting used to for new inventors. But if you don't accept that, you, you won't be successful. You need to accept that. Um, you know, and that's the reason why we teach an approach. You spend 75 bucks on a provisional, a few bucks on a virtual prototype sell sheet. And quite often for a lot of products, not all products, you're in it for under less than 300 bucks. So if you don't license that product, you can always move on to the next one. And don't give up on that one. Put it on the closet, put it in the closet, not the garbage can. Reach back out like six or eight months later, send it to all those same companies. Um, you know, sometimes I get inventors like, oh, I couldn't license it. So I'm going to start my own business, goddammit. And I'm going to sell this myself. And it's like, they don't have the money. They don't have the skills. I can tell they don't really want to do it. But they're just like, they just want to sacrifice everything for their product. And you have to take a look and go, well, geez, I know, you know, 30 companies said no, but. I get students all the time reaching back out eight months later to the same, some of the same companies and others. And you'll get a company now saying yes, that said no before, because two weeks earlier, their boss said we need new products. And in the meantime, why don't you work on another product? But to just go, oh, if I can't license it, I'll just try to sell it myself. And if you're not wired up to do that and don't really understand the ramifications of doing that, what's really involved and how much money it takes, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. You know, and so some people have a really hard time letting go of their first product and moving on to their second. Um, so, you know, uh, and you don't need to throw it in the garbage can, put it in the closet, pitch it again later, work on something else for a little while. So that's, that's our take. Um, okay. Naomi said, I'm a total newbie. Where do I find information about becoming a student? So I'll, I'll put it up here. Invent, invent, right.com. There we go. Okay. I put it in the chat. Um, so feel free to book a call with us. If you click on the contact us page, you can book a call with one of our advisors, Naomi, and you can talk to them. And, and Sylvia and Dana are really friendly. They're never going to hound you. They'll, even if you're just totally not ready, but I just want to, can you tell me how this works? Invent right coaching. And they will tell you, and then you'll know, and then you can make your own mind up in your own time. Um, uh, Calum. Uh, if I'm seeing that right, let's see if I put my glasses on here. Kayleen, sorry, didn't want to. Kayleen uh, said, Andrew, you're a rock star for doing these. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, and so, before we wrap up, we still got 13 minutes. If you guys aren't subscribed to our channel, click down the subscribe button below, click on the notification button, and that's the way you can say thank you to me for taking a whole hour of my time to answer your guys' questions completely for free. So, um, that it, please do that if you can. Um, to, to us said, Hey, Andrew, how essential is it to have your prototype fully refined before approaching potential licensees? Can it be functional without having the aesthetics or be fully innovated? I think you had typed that before I answered that in detail. Um, so I think that should be helpful for you. Um, Ooh, I love this one. Uh, Duke said, and I'm going to tell you guys how to do this. And um, this is great. Hi, Andrew. Um, I've run, 
I'm run out. I, I ran out of ideas. What should I do to come up with new product ideas that solve problems and people will buy? Okay. So most inventors don't do this. And um, we talked about it on the webinar. We recently did the free webinar we did for the public. So if you, if you're not signed up for that, I would go to inventright.com, click on re free resources, sign up for a webinar series. And just as a reminder, check out our free resources, go to inventright.com. I clicked, I include the link before and then um, click on the free resources button. And there's a webinar series there where we kind of talked about this, but what I'm going to say is who is, who answered that? It Duke. Most inventors don't even know their process. Like you just randomly come up with ideas. You, you know, it just came to you one day and don't even really have a process, but they're hyper creative and that works for them and that's fine. But once you come up with an idea, this first thing you should do, and then I'll tell you how to come up with one from scratch. The second you come up with an idea, the second, but same day, next day, um, you should be studying the micro category by going on Google images and looking at all the other products in the space. And you are not trying to prove that, well, that one sucks, that one sucks, mine's better than that, mine's better than that. You will, you're going through life with blinders if you do that. What you want to do is go, okay, there's those over there, that price, and there's these benefits. And let's say it's a garlic press. And you kind of categorize them all and you become an expert because you have a garlic press. And then you're going to look at all these other garlic presses. So that's what you want to do. But if you want it, and if you do that right away, when you come up with an idea, you don't fall in love with it so, so soon and you're more flexible on changing it. But if you dream up an idea and you've been thinking about it, thinking about it for months or years, or sometimes four or five years for some people, and you're not studying the marketplace, now you're going through life with blinders on. The companies know about these other products out there, so you need to too. You need to know how it fits in. It's not so much proving that nobody came up with your exact same thing. It's, it's seeing how it fits in the marketplace. So here's the ultimate way to invent Duke, and most inventors don't do this. And if you guys do this from now on, you'll probably increase your chances of success in licensing all the products you work on dramatically. So just start with studying a micro category. So let's say you just start looking at kitchen gadgets and you're like, well, that's kind of broad. You maybe spent 30, 45 minutes there and you're looking for a micro category to study. And maybe you're fascinated with um, garlic presses. Okay. You're like, oh, I, that's not a good one, by the way. But let's say you're fascinated with garlic presses. Okay. That's not all kitchen gadgets too broad. That's getting more micro category, right? Like just get just garlic presses. And then if you spent like two hours studying all the garlic presses, you would be a freaking expert at garlic presses. If you're observing the price points, the materials, the way they're pitching it, the different benefits of different garlic presses and things. And now you have no invention, okay? You're going through all this with no invention, all right? You're making notes, you're bookmarking all this stuff. And you're probably tired at that point. So you're probably gonna walk away. Maybe you came up with some ideas, you write them down. But maybe it comes to you in the shower. You know, maybe when you're driving, maybe the next day or two or three days later, you come back and you look at all your bookmarks. You look at all the images because using Google images, you get all this visual stimulation. And then you kind of put your feet up on the desk. You go, OK, what am I going to invent? Like Maybe there's like eight companies selling this over here, but they're all the same. People like that. So what if I just create a little improvement on that? Or, oh, there's this whole gap in between these guys and these guys and nobody's servicing this kind of benefit. You know, and so if you do that, you're inventing with the marketplace in mind and these marketing managers know what's out there and you're more likely to come up with something that that is more licensable that way. Almost no inventors do that. But 
if you did that, it's smart. Now we're forcing inventors to do it after they came up with the idea. But you are asking, what's the way to come up with new product ideas? So I just told you, Duke, if you ever came up with any other idea before, if you're not like really close-minded and you're probably a creative guy, you can totally do this. Anybody can do this and you'll be coming up with good ideas. Now you might invest that time and you don't come up with a new garlic press and you do another category. It's fun, you know, and it takes all the anxiety away. When you come up with an idea and then you got to study the micro category, people are very anxious. They're worried about what they're going to find. But if you just study a category and then invent, you don't get that same inventor anxiety, you know? And so that's a great way, easy way to invent. Um, and you might need to study another micro category and then another one. And then that third one, it pops, but you're kind of becoming experts in these little categories and other things may come to you in the future too. So it's worth spending your time but very few inventors spend the time doing that. We force them to do it, our students, after they come up with an idea, because like, we're not gonna like, you don't wanna make a sell sheet, file your PPA, make your list of 30 companies, and the company's like, well, that's, I don't see that product making sense because there's this and this product there, and you didn't do your research, and you didn't, you know, and a lot of times when you, when you study a micro category and the products in it, you're gonna be using some of the same marketing in your marketing, as the as the other products are but then you've got your point of difference too you know so tremendously beneficial duke i love that question i wish more inventors would invent that way it's fantastic um uh edgar said hi andrew thank you for taking the time to talk to us question what if your ppa is over 1.5 years expires am i able to renew or do i just need to make a new ppa so anything we share with you today is not legal advice. So please consult your attorney if you need legal advice. But if you haven't, Edgar, if you haven't made a public disclosure, sold it at a swap meet, put it up um, for sale on a website, public YouTube video, whatever, you can file that exact same thing and get a year from today. You know, But if you were selling it and you had a website and you made public disclosure, it's been more than a year, you're basically toast for anything you publicly disclose. Now, in all the circles that I've run in, privately showing it for license is not considered public disclosure. You're privately showing it. It's not public. And with the American Vents Act, all the attorneys I've talked to, and again, this is not legal advice, say that's not public disclosure. So even if you had reached out, Edgar, to 10 companies and you privately showed it to them and they didn't publicly disclose it, which I doubt that they, any of them would, um, then you can file that provisional patent again. So don't worry about it. File your PPA. And, and even if you have publicly disclosed it and it had been more than a year, you could file a provisional patent on some insignificant improvement. It could be ridiculous, not even marketable, and legally still say patent pending again and just license it to the freaking company. You know, because all these companies are not, um, they, don't, they don't all require patents to license to them. They're all okay with the provisional patent to get on. And some of them are like, you know, yeah, we want to do a patent. And others are like, we don't care. We'll pay your royalties regardless. And if they sign the contract, they need to pay you regardless. So this perception, you have to have a patent or an issue patent to license the products. Yes. So even if you had an insignificant improvement, you could still create the perception of protection, you know, by just adding something and then filing the provisional again. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. My guess is you did what a lot of inventors do. You got excited about the provisional. You got the warm and fuzzies are protected, but then you didn't really reach out to companies or doing any do anything because you didn't know how. And then it ran out, and now you're like. And sometimes attorneys will take advantage of that and go, "Oh, if you don't 
file before that year is up, you're, you're not going to preserve your filing date. And you'll lose your rights. And it's like they didn't tell you that, oh, you didn't show it to anybody. You didn't make public disclosure, you know, that you could file that thing again because they want to get 10 grand out of you because they want to kind of like sell fear. I hate that. They save a lot of inventors from attorneys that aren't sharing that with them. Um, and and I, I'm sure those attorneys don't like me, but I always tell the inventor, don't tell the attorney I said that. Um, but that that is our take. That's the real business take that we have on things. Um, I was kind of general, uh, everything yellow, which is a fun handle. Uh, what do you do when you have a product that will change the hair industry, but don't know where to start? You know, I, I, I'm just making a case here, guys. Um, I think our, our students and inventors have a lot of great products, but when you say things like we'll change the industry, or if we only, I'll give these are things you don't want to say just straight up, even if it will never say it. These are like big statements like, Oh, and another thing inventors say is, well, if we only get 2% of the market, we'll both make millions. Like there's a lot of stuff, um, or everybody will want one. So, um, everything yellow. I'm just making an example of the way you stated it. Don't, don't say it'll change an industry, you know, even if it will to the companies that you're pitching to, because they've, they've uh, had a lot of inventors approach them with these delusions of grandeur statements, these big statements, and it just red flags just pop up. So if you don't do that, show them your product. They're going to see your product and just go with the benefit of the product. You don't need to make these types of statements. Um, but you know, you were just saying it to me, so it's fine. So I just use it as an example to, to, but you don't know where to start. So, um, you know, I mean, we have a very simple process. It's a 10 step process. So if you wanted to, you could get our book, One Simple Idea, it includes the 10 steps. And if you want something more, you can do our coaching. And you can go to inventright.com and click on contact us and you can book a point with an advisor to find out more. But um, sounds like, it sounds like you might want to watch a little bit more of our YouTube show too. Um, you can go down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but, but book an appointment with us so we can explain to you. That would be great. Um, Richard said, I looked at the PPA for the twist label example you've listed and found that is extremely long and detailed. That seems to be the hardest part. Is it always that hard? No, if you're talking about Steven's spin label uh, invention or other co-founder, that's a complicated invention in some ways. It's not simple like a lot of other inventions. So I would say, yes, that's if that's what you're referring to, that is a more complicated um, example um, of a PPA and just of a product that most of the products your students working on aren't that difficult. Um, Yeah, and, and and as I always state, you know, the big part of filing a provisional patent is just thinking about the variations, workarounds, improvements, and including them in there. And most inventors don't do that, even with attorneys. And attorneys don't push them to do it, and then they got garbage patents. So if you think about the variations, the other ways it could be done, don't include the version that's half as good, because that's just wasting your time that's getting obsessive, because it doesn't cost you anything more to put additional stuff in a provisional. But include the version that's 75% as good, 80 90%. Just as good, but not the version you're pitching. Throw all that into your PPA and you should be fine, Richard. I wouldn't worry about it. Huh. Richard, okay, last one. Richard Ricochet Entertainment Group. Um, 
Thanks. Thanks in advance, Andrew. What's your take on how to patent and license a smaller, a smaller or compact version of a product that's already been made, but it's going to be sold in a totally different market? Well, that might be very viable. I mean, if it's in a totally different market and it's smaller and it, it, hopefully there's a little differentiation in some functionality of it for that other market. And then you have patentability and you have marketability for it too. And my experience is that that's very common um, and not a bad thing. Um, and so you ask yourself, if I'm taking it from this industry and moving it over to here, what are the problems? Look for problems. Because if you have problems, look for problems. Nobody's ever done that before. Look for problems, solve those problems. You'll have a better product, which is always first that you have a better product based on those problems. And then you also probably have something that's patentable as well. So, I, you know, without knowing your particular particular idea, I can't say for sure. Uh, okay. All right. So I think we hit the hour, guys. Um, okay, cool. All right. I think we hit the hour, guys. I think we're going to call it a night. Um, I want to remind you guys to take care, keep inventing. If you could subscribe down below as your thank you to me for um, for just answering your questions for a full hour. Um, we've been doing this for 21 years. Um, if you guys want coaching, go to InventRight and click on Contact Us, book an appointment with one of our advisors to talk about our programs and how we can help. Um, you can also check out our books. You can visit our website to, if you want to get any of our books there. And we've got over 800 videos on YouTube, so check those out as well. Remind everybody to take care and keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys.